This is Dispatches from the Frontline, readings from the diary of Sister Nan Ray, who served for four grueling years on the frontline of the battlefields of World War I, read by Geraldine Cook Daphna. Nineteenth of September. This morning dawned calm and cold. I was in the house relieving Mac for one and a half hours. We had another wild rush at seven a.m. Another train down from the front brought forty more patients here and twenty to the camp. We're quite filled up again. Most of these patients are able to walk with assistance. No stretcher cases. They have also been travelling since Tuesday. Poor beggars. And there are some very nasty-looking wounds. Tonight they are all sleeping, the sleep of the just. So thankful and happy to be in bed to worry tonight about anything at all. I have everything my own way tonight, as my colleague Sister B seems to have developed an attack of food poisoning or something equally bad. However, though I have over eighty patients, the wards are quiet. And two of my three orderlies are dozing. Poor fellows! I should not much like to do night duty as they do it. They are on for ten hours, and then are given four hours off for sleeping. So we always try to arrange turns for their sleeping during the night. My most worrying case is a German pneumonia with a pulse that no one has been able to count for about five days. They got one bullet out of his chest. Seems to me there might be another one in his heart. Its action is so extraordinary. He is an officer in a crack university corps, one of the most famous in Germany. A very sick man, certainly, and a most difficult and exacting patient. When well, I'm sure he is cruel. Twentieth of September, Sunday. A glorious morning, so I washed my hair and sat on our window ledge in the sun to dry it. The sea looked lovely, and the boulevard was gay with the youth and beauty of Saint Nazaire. Whilst below on the sands, the children laughed and played. There was everything to keep one awake, but at twelve o'clock we went to bed, and I slept fairly well. Sister Buckham is warded for a day or two, so I am again alone on duty. Soon after I came on duty, Colonel Eames and Major Dick and a more suspicious bodyguard brought a visitor to see the wards. He was a civilian, unusual sight these days. He complimented me on the appearance of the wards as I escorted them and flashed my hurricane lamp around. Certainly, things did look peaceful. Mr. Mufti asked me where I came from and told me that he was in Melbourne in the days of Ned Kelly. <laughs> I told him that I thought things were a bit changed since then. <laughs> he seemed to think it remarkable that I was alone in these wards, save for the orderlies. We shook hands like old friends, but I haven't the faintest notion who he is. Must discover. It is nearly four a.m., cold and pitch black. I wish they'd give us more blankets for these poor beggars. Two each is the regulation, unless otherwise especially ordered by a doctor. 
I am thinking of asking my medical officer to sign a requisition for 50 more tomorrow. Had quite a few words with the Sergeant Major on the subject a few mornings ago. Oh, he makes me tired. A regular Army Sergeant Major. I'd almost like him to have a bullet tunnel through him and ask him then doesn't he want a bit of extra comfort on a cold night. My orderlies tonight are very nice youths, but too stupidly sleepy for words. I've sent two off to sleep together, and I guess if I looked at the other, I'd find him asleep too. They're not allowed enough time for sleeping, and anyhow, we have three different ones each night, so they never grow accustomed to the night work. They are all so willing to help and so nice in every way, that I find it impossible to reprimand them. Yet I cannot rely on them at all. Happily, there are no very serious cases in at present. Monsieur Lelance Corporel has ordered the light to be turned out in the backyard after nine o'clock. I have barked my shins several times and have lighted up again, and now I am fairly aching for the morning to come, when I can say a few well-chosen things to Le Lance Corporel. <sighs> All of which goes to prove that I am in a fine state of irritability ce soir, or rather, ce matin. The silly Primus refused to light, and those day people have left with the service manual. I've just come back to find a cigarette on my report book. One of those orderly boys. <laughs> it has happened before. They know that most of the sisters smoke. Our chaplain offered me a whole packet a few nights ago. I really must start. I like better the delicious sweets Boy B gives me every night for a week. He is one of the dearest souls. A fair young boy officer who looks about 20. Injury to eye and forehead. He has been in for 10 days and was my patient over at the house. Declares he misses me terribly and every night waits near our stairs to give me a lovely boucher pastry. Last night, sugar almonds. He intends to rejoin his regiment on Tuesday. They were fighting hard a few days ago and have lost most of their officers. Killed or missing. Dear boy, I pray the gods will keep him from harm. He is so splendid and fresh and good and still such a child. I feel old enough to be his mother. Our nice Captain Jay has gone back too. Another fine fellow. When these men, all of them so young, have rested and their wounds are better, and they are once more bathed and dressed and wandering about in the sun, preparing for their return to the front line, I find myself asking more and more, where is the justification for war? One quickly learns to know them in hospital and admire them, and the thought of their going back to be killed or worse still, tortured, is too appalling for words. It is the wicked waste of life, this disregard for youth and health that gets me down altogether. But only to think of it makes one miserable. 
and unfit to carry on. Twenty-first of September, Monday. A glorious morning, so went for a short walk along the boulevard and had a sun bath. Ambulances started to arrive at nine o'clock, and about twenty officers were given beds. Some very serious injuries. The most badly wounded have been left in the house, and Sister Mac has an extra nurse on duty to help her. I have the rest. A ward full, and four or five have had anaesthetics. In the house, they have a man who was shot right through one lung, which is now gangrenous. Another poor beggar has lost his right arm. My worst case, a hopeless one, is another tetanus, a leg injury. He is a good-looking, fair-haired boy of nineteen. Such blue eyes and smooth, soft face. To see him in those ghastly spasms is most horrible. If only he could die now. At once. My other patients are more or less exhausted and sleep fairly well. That is the new ones. Some of my Tommies have been sent up to the camp hospital. Only those who are able to get about, to make room for more officers here. Our padre, Mister Shepherd, Canon Shepherd from St Martin's in the Field, London, is a most interesting man, devoted to the boys and they to him. Since about eight o'clock, he has sat with the poor tetanus lad, so as to relieve the orderlies, as he must not be left alone. It is about three a.m., and he has that last yielded to persuasions to go to bed. This is the first time I have sat down tonight, and I am having a half-hour spell before beginning the bad dressings. I do not know the exact number. But I have somewhere between eighty to ninety patients, quite a handful, and sometimes a few over. Sister B may be able to come on again with me tomorrow. Meantime, I can manage all right. At present, a boy's cursing the enemy, up boys and at them style. A man just behind me is grinding his teeth so violently that it sounds like nothing on earth. He always does it. Some night he will break them. Otherwise, it is fairly quiet. Save for the snores and occasional cough. These night coughs are the most exasperating things in the world. So difficult to spot. I stand in a ward with a dose of cough linctus in my hand, and they all sleep like babes. There is a barking next door, and I hurry in. But when I arrive, all is still, and the first one has another turn, and so on all night. <laughs> they will not cough for the lady. <laughs> Twenty-second of September, Tuesday. When I read "Lay Down Your Arms" by Baroness von Suttner, a peace activist, I thought that I had a good idea of how awful a thing is war. But it was only a glimmer of the truth, the horror of which grows on me every day. The beautiful tetanus youth is the last to be added to the roll of honour, which seems to me such a terrible dishonour to a civilised world. He died half an hour ago, and I have just been superintending the last devoted ministrations of his wonderful nurses, Mr D and Mr P. Since the boy was removed from the ward to the covered veranda, which was screened off for his bed, those two men have cared for him 
and they have done everything for him. It has been worth a lot just to watch them. So unused to it all, they fell into their places and for two nights and days have watched, sometimes in turns, sometimes together, indefatigable, gentle, loving, always, always. Should the boy rouse himself, he always found their warm hand clasp and clung to them like a child while they soothed him with soft words of endearment and encouragement. They had bought lavender water with which to bathe his face and hands, and to them, themselves mere youngsters, he was a tired babe. And now they are doing all that remains to be done while I await them, for they have promised to come for some tea. I scribble a few lines in the old diary, though to it alone I confess... My eyes are brimming, and I can scarcely see to write. Thank you for listening to Dispatches from the Frontline. This project was directed by Naomi Edwards, read by Geraldine Cook-Defna. Original music and sound design by Zoltan Fetcho with producing support from Tristan Meacham and voice editing by Alex Stefano. The creative team gratefully acknowledges the support of the Victorian government through the Community Support Fund and Public Record Office Victoria and Creative Victoria with Regional Arts Victoria through the Sustaining Creative Workers Initiative supported by all the Queen's men. We would like to thank the Selman family and in particular Meg Selman for allowing us to use Nan Ray's diary.